The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 439 now of the Ron and Don Show. And heck yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, you probably saw an article in the Seattle Times talking about how rents have gone up all over the region, and people are pretty upset about it. As a landlord, I'm going to tell you to calm down, and I'm going to tell you why you should calm down uh, in just a moment here. Also, uh, coming up, let's talk about farms and the fact that Joe Biden just signed into legislation, something that is going to have a major impact on the way that we farm in the country, but is it too late? Because I had no idea, you guys. I knew it cows did to the ozone layer, but I had no idea what feed corn does. We'll talk about that. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about this. Streaming services right now really struggling. As more and more streaming services come online, as it has become big money, and is there enough content out there to go around? And what are these streaming services going to do As the Netflix of the world, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, had their first quarter loss in more than 10 years. And the problem that they're having is people sign up to watch, and then they go out and cancel, and then they just go away. Ron, what are streaming services going to do? Because back in the day, you just had three channels. Then all of a sudden they've added cable, and now you've added the ability to watch anything, anywhere, at any time because of the internet. This has been really fascinating to me, and I always flash on. I don't. I should go look up who's the comedian that said this. Uh, there was a tweet I saw from a comedian that basically said, "Wow, you could bundle all these streamers, streaming services together and call it cable." <laughs> so what you just said is it's fascinating. So if we think back to this, like you said, when cable came into existence. You would add, you had different tiers of the packages of channels that you would get. And then what they found, uh, is one of the reasons why your bill became more and more and more expensive is that ESPN, which is owned by ABC Disney, they were able to leverage, uh, a position in your cable bill where a giant chunk of money was going to Disney slash ABC because of the huge deals that ESPN was writing on sports. So the Monday Night Football package, NFL package, the Major League Baseball package, the NBA, hockey, all of these um, places. You know, when you read about LeBron James getting a $90 million contract extension, or you read about Deshaun Watson uh, getting $270 million or whatever it was, or Russell Wilson, you know, buying the most expensive house in, in Denver history, how do they get paid that amount of money? A large chunk of it was from your regular cable bill. So when you'd open up your cable bill and go, oh, it's $178, a big chunk of that 
after you paid Comcast or whatever it was, would go to pay for these sports franchises. And so people that were non-sporty, that became uh, attractive to them to go, oh, Netflix is only you know, $13.99 or $17.99, way better than $178. So you'd get that. And then your friend would say, oh man, you got to see it. My brother just did this to me. You got to see the show on Hulu. So you go over and it's like, okay, Hulu, well, it's only $9.99. So now you add that and you keep adding these things. Uh, now you're, you're Spotify and you got to get all these entertainment options, Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. And so now it, it's creeping into where people said, I'm going to be a cord cutter because I'm already paying for internet. I'm already paying whatever it is, $79 a month. So I'm just going to add the things I'm just going to use. And so then it creeps, it creeps, it creeps. And now you look back at it and you go, well, now I'm spending more than I did on cable. So I'm curious as this evolution happens, if you might, if you're a powerhouse like Disney, Disney just overtook Netflix for raw subscriptions for the first time ever. And if you remember when Netflix first came on, it licensed this movie to Netflix. And then they started looking at how much money Netflix was making. And when that contract expired, they took all their properties back, launched Disney Plus. Now they're their subscriber base because a lot of kids will watch the same movie over and over. Yeah, and over to and your over. point, don't forget Disney Plus, that is the home of everything Marvel. Disney Plus yeah. is the home of everything National Geographic. And those two right there for Disney Plus are huge drivers. And plus, on top of that, when they have a new movie come out, uh, and especially if it's a Marvel movie, or now you have a lot of these Marvel television shows that they've created that's all on Disney Plus. Uh, it, it, my kid is coming to me all the time and saying, Hey, Dad, let's turn on what's what's on Disney Plus tonight. He's not asking what's on Netflix. So, yeah, so it would be interesting to me if someone that has the leverage of ABC, Disney, ESPN, if they could put the genie back in the bottle. I, I, you almost need like a Steve Jobs type character that could come in and say, listen, this is stupid. Let's put together uh, a, a mega streamer, if you will. Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, all the big guys, all the players. Uh, let's bundle this together and be cable, but through the internet. Well, it'll be 99 bucks or whatever it is. They know what shows are being watched. You could write an algorithm or uh, a dashboard, if you would, that says the best content wins. Yeah. If everybody's watching Marvel, then you get the lion's share of that customer's 99 bucks. If, hmm. if they're watching mostly Netflix, then we get the lion's share of that. If they're watching mostly Hulu. So in other words, don't penalize the customer. Um, I would think you would, but again, you remember Steve Jobs when when Napster was around, it took him to literally go to every single music company and broker an individual deal with them to open up the iTunes store. At the time, it was revolutionary at the time, and they said no one could do it. And read if you're reading the Steve Jobs book by Walter Isaacson, that was, I think people underestimate how big of a deal that was because Steve Jobs himself had to go as a music fan and say, Here's how you're going to win. Instead of it being for free on Napster or LimeWire, and if you're a young person, you don't even know what those are, instead of people just pirating your music, Metallica, it will, you're going to get paid. And you'll get paid because we'll tell you how many streams you had. Yeah, here, here, here's what's interesting. Like last night, and I, I got home, I was by myself, my son wasn't here, and I don't watch TV very much. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to throw on Netflix. So I turned on Netflix. 
There wasn't really anything that I wanted to watch. A lot of people have gone really deep on these true crime stories, and they call them docu-series. And it's just someone sitting there and and kind of retelling a story and showing this whole the same B-roll through the whole docu-series. And there's so much of that crap out there that people aren't telling these stories very well. They're, they're just not. Well, they take a, a two-hour show and make it well, a 10-hour yeah, show. Well, and, yeah, and, and, and you're better off just listening to it on a podcast because on the podcast, it just it seems more interesting to me. I heard Sean Hayes, who was on Will & Grace, he's on a podcast that I know that both you and I uh, uh, like and enjoy with Will Arnett and... Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. And I was listening to their podcast the other day called Smart List, which is really good, you guys, if you want to check it out. And they were saying, and Sean was saying, that they wouldn't make Will and Grace today uh, because people aren't tuning into streaming services for comedies, and especially if you have a comedy that's Unless like... Unless it's called Seinfeld or The Office or Friends. Yeah, yeah. He said people are tuning into streaming services for docuseries or from the Marvel Universe or whatever. And, and he says, and he made a really good point, he said TikTok changed everything. He says, because people just go out on TikTok. It's not that people don't want comedy, but they're getting comedy from their next door neighbor or somebody that lives in uh, China is not a good example because I don't think TikTok is on there. But but they are they are being entertained through humor by normal everyday citizens or by people that have gone out and they have made themselves quote unquote influencers. And so we don't see a lot of that content being created now because it's being created by influencers and the streaming services are missing out on that kind of content, which means they're missing out on that kind of money. I hadn't thought about that before. I was like, wow, that, that, that is really unique and different. So. And the other one, and, and I think I, I'm not alone in this, I would say at least 50%, if not higher, of my entertainment time I spend on YouTube. At least 50%. Uh, because I find creators that I like, and I know that when I go to my subscriptions, theoretically, I'm going to like all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm not scrolling through an endless menu on Netflix going, what is this? What is it? It's like, I, I've chosen these people, and when they post a new video, most of the time, I like it. Yeah. yeah. We watch a lot of me TV around here. You know what that is? No. My, if I hear him howling in the other room, it's Hogan's Heroes, which you couldn't make today. But no Hogan's way. Heroes is brilliant. Oh, very funny. It is brilliant. And then it's right into the Andy Griffith show that was made before I was even born, like back in 1963. He loves Don Knotts. Cannot get enough. Of, he's 12 years old. He could not get enough of Barney Five. And then he loves Green Acres. Wow. He loves Green Acres. This is how I know he's your son. <laughs> that has to be DNA. <laughs> Yeah, because I do too. <laughs> I will see you on the other side. <laughs> hey, it's Ron and Don here to talk about Les Schwab. They've been a long, long time partner with the Ron and Don show, and they really do care about your safety. They take it very seriously. So at Les Schwab, they're happy to check your tires, your wheels, your alignment, batteries, brakes, and shocks, especially if you're going on a big road trip, you're going over one of the mountain passes, maybe you're driving down to California or something like that. Get this pre trip safety check. It's absolutely free. You can even schedule it online right now at leschwab.com. 
So if you need any work done, they will let you know. So go to leshwab.com, schedule that appointment, and then get things checked out. And if you do need new tires, right now you can save up to $200 when you buy four select tires with Les Schwab Financing. That's Les Schwab Tires, where they've been doing the right thing since 1952. Laura Miller's one of the leading commercial real estate brokers around the sound. You see her name everywhere. But when she needed to sell her own home in West Seattle, she turned to Ron and Don. Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a laydown. As someone who regularly handles multi-million dollar deals, Laura has high standards and expectations, and she says the guys exceeded them. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course, and they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> In no time, they got a deal done. Laura got even more than she hoped for. And she says she couldn't be more impressed with their service, attention to detail, and results. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. You did really well. They're awesome. They are just people you want to hang out with. <laughs> and if you're ready to get more for your door and work with some pretty awesome guys as well, it all starts with a Ron and Don sit down at ronanddon.com. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Again, if you're thinking about buying, selling, investing, I will say this. I don't think there's another real estate agent out there that has the expertise that I do uh, when it comes to refurbishing, reconning a home, and then also uh, pulling a home into an Airbnb space or a 30-day rental space, long-term, short-term. Not only do I own a lot of those, but I also advise a lot of our clients on how to do that. So, in fact, I... On a break, I'm hunting a property right now that I was at earlier, and a client's like, hey, if I buy this, will you show me how I can make this into a triplex, and how can I Airbnb this thing? What's the strategy? And I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. So uh, so I've actually been on their bank, because now the bank, actually, it used to be on an investment property. Uh, they wouldn't give you credit on a loan for Airbnb money or short-term money. It had to be long-term, and that's beginning to change some of the banking institutions, too. And they're also having to figure out how can we allow down payments with crypto. So things are really changing, you guys. But at least we still have Me Too TV and Green Acres. <laughs> and I left out Gomer Pyle, who I, I just... Something about Gomer Pyle, and all of a sudden you see Jim Neighbors break into uh, opera. That's really... Just amazing to me. So anyway, and then my son will look at that and go, hey, wasn't Gomer Pyle? Didn't he used to be on, uh, wasn't he in Mayberry? Didn't he hang out with Andy? And I'm like, yeah, you got it all figured out, man. Ron Howard, all those guys. Amp B, everybody. Amp B, by the way, you guys, was a boo. Did you know that? A boo, what does that mean? A boo. Begins with a B. Okay. Ends in itch. All right. Nobody liked her. Anyway, uh, hey, I just... 
on the break, I just walked upstairs. I'm having a little LaCroix right now, and I'm having some chicken breast. And I have to say, I don't eat meat a lot, but when I do, I try to make it a chicken breast or a good slice of meat. I've leaned more into a Mediterranean diet. Uh, and then I'm like coming up the stairs after reading this article. I don't even know if I should be eating this chicken breast or eating beef. It's not the best thing in the world for you, especially red meat. But then you think about what it does to planet Earth. And what caused me to do kind of a deep dive on this, and I knew we had problems with cows in the ozone layer and obnoxious odoriferses uh, and issues with uh, basically climate change. I had no idea what the American farmer was doing and it's propelled by us, right? It's propelled by us. What the American farmer is doing right now to the environment. And then I looked at this $20 billion in this new bill that was signed by the president. $20 billion is going to farmers. And I said, what do the farmers need this money for? Ron, did I learn a lot about farming uh, that I didn't know before? And it sounds like through this bill, we're going to chart a course to change the way that we farm in the United States, not only with dairy products and with meat products, but also with things like soybean and corn and okra and everything else. I I read this article and like I, I've sort of studied or, or learned a lot about these things over the years, and I I think it's just it's it's the it's the wrong way to look at it in a way. If you think historically about this, I, I just watched a documentary on a guy. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating people in history, and I don't remember his name. But he, let me tell you the story real quick. When you go back, you want me to guess? No, Jesus. You, yes, it was about Jesus. When you go back, uh, uh, after that, I was going to guess Ben Franklin to pre World War One, which would be Noah. It's not Noah. Okay. When you go back to pre World War One. Uh, the 1900s. Can you do me a favor? Because you said it's the wrong way to look at it, but I don't know the way. I don't know what the right way would be because I don't know what your wrong way to look at the it. The wrong would way be. to look at it is we still are going to have these monocrops. We're still going to have, uh, you know, in the Midwest where you grew up, we're going to have eight million acres of one crop in one county. There's no cross pollination. There's no f- fallow ground. It'll be six miles of soybeans and then six miles of corn, and then it's just going to we're 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 strapping on more and more band-aids to the same system yeah and i grew up playing in all those fields right and and you would see it you see a corn field you see a soybean field and then you'd see a field that they would let rest for a season and come back and then just what this bill doesn't do is go why did we build it this way Uh and is there a different way to build it the in my opinion the reason why it's built this way is pre-world war one there was a legitimate concern that the world population was going to starve and the reason why is that we had no cheap way to make fertilizer and we didn't have costco and we did not have costco right so there were famines regularly around the world because we could not fertilize there was no yield uh, on on land for crops and there's one man and I'll, I'll have to look it up maybe put it in the show notes there's a man in germany who simultaneously hitler no okay. he uh, but he 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 has a nefarious past i'll find this to you you'll be ultimately fascinated with this he invented the nerve gas that was used in World War One, that they would put out over the 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 what are those troughs called? Einstein. No, oh. he would he invented this nerve gas that you would disseminate over the the battlefield when the wind was just right. It would go down in the trenches and it killed uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. This nerve gas. He also then wins the Nobel Prize 
And that nerve gas was then reformulated to become the gas that Hitler used in the concentration camps. Same man also invents the technology to make nitrogen-based fertilizer. He's a German scientist. He simultaneously did technology that killed millions of people, but he also did technology that has saved billions of people. I'm going to guess Gerhard Schrader, and which so, is correct. Yeah, so th- this guy is one of the most fascinating characters in the history of modern history. Uh, killed technology that killed millions, but saved billions. So it's a very complicated story when you read it. When he won the Nobel Prize, many fellow Nobel Prize winners would not go to his ceremony. Yeah, this here, is the most important technology development for here food. Here it is. Gerhard Schrader uh, was born in 1903, died in 1990, lived a long life. Uh, he was a German chemist who specialized in the discovery of new insecticides. He hoped to make progress in the fight against world hunger, but is best known for his accidental discovery of nerve agents and is sometimes called the father of nerve, nerve agents. So this, so then you get through World War One. You can make nitrogen-based fertilizer now, and so that mentality was still alive in America as we go from World War One to World War Two. And so the United States, and it was really supercharged uh, around the 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 you know the presidents right after World War Two of saying we need to be the breadbasket of the world. So we are going to take this technology of fertile of, of modern fertilization. It's all going to be about yield. We need to have the greatest yield the universe has ever seen per acre. And so we're going to carve up uh, the middle part of America by crop, and we are going to pump as much nutri- nutrients into that land as you can. It's all about yield. Kill the, kill the bugs, greatest yield we possibly can. And that's what it, everything was focused on. The, all our money, all our resources, all the farming, all the herbicides, everything was on yield per acre regardless of the health of the planet, regardless of if the food was any good. And then, you know, watch all the documentaries on how it then, you know, ripples out into what food products we have in the center part of a grocery store. And so what this bill does is it's trying to retrofit that system instead of asking, is there a better way to do it? And so there are better ways to do it. I don't know if you could do it at scale. And so uh, to get the same yield per acre. But when you look at, I believe it's in and, and Brazil. Keep it, and keep it affordable. And keep it affordable. I mean, you walk, you walk around the outer ring of the store. or It's expensive. Yeah. But there, there are farming techniques, let's say in Brazil and in some South American countries, where you don't have one crop, where a farmer is a farmer. Like we think about it as a cartoon character. They'll have cattle. They'll have chickens. They have goats. They'll have multiple crops. And then those crops and livestock rotate. This is how Zeb does it on Green Acres. On Green Acres. You think they were watching Green Acres? And so that's how you used to farm. And, and there's a lot of technology that ancient farmers had that knew. It's like, we, I can't plant the same crop in the same field every year. We need to have the animals go through there and, and eat stuff and poop on it and step on it and, and sort of fertilize. Liven up the soil. Get some bugs in there. Yeah. And not every bug is a bad bug. No. And so that technology, I guess if part of this, in the maybe it's in the bill and I just didn't see it. If there was like, hey, we're going to start to carve out and pay farmers extra money will you take your thousand acres let's do an experimental different model and see if we can approximate 
what we're doing in these monocultures because they're like, oh, we're going to get pollinators. Well, you're not going to get pollinators if you just do a monocrop. The reason why there was life, uh, you know, diversity in these fields is because you weren't doing the same thing as far as the eye could see. So it, it's progress, um, but I think it's progress. It's strapping on new tires onto your 1973 Corolla. But it's also understanding, I think, a, a lot of times, like, like for instance, my son – we have uh, some really cool saltwater wood outside our house. And it's basically a log that's been sitting in salt water for probably 180 years. And you pull it out and it has all these wormholes in it from sitting in the salt water. Well, well, as my son says, in the spring, the bees like to come and hang out in those holes. And the other thing the bees like to do is they like to fly around our yard. And if you look at my front yard right now, uh, it looks pretty cool, right? It looks pretty amazing. We have beautiful flowers out there. And, and my son looked at, at that and felt like, Daddy, those are wasps. They should all be killed. Uh, they're going to try to... Because he saw one time I got zapped with some wasps and I, I, I had a medical issue over it. So he's really concerned about me getting stuck. So we had to talk about what a wasp is and what a bee is and what different types of bees are. And Ron's been helping with that being a beekeeper. And now he he... Because he's learned a little bit more about this at school. If someone comes over and tries to kill one of those bees, he gets on him a little bit. He's like, "Hey, you know, he knows about pollination now. And he's not—he's not sure if those bees are pollinating the flowers, but he thinks they—they they may be." Yeah, and ornamental flowers. You, you have mason bees. It is very cool. But um, yeah, so I, I think this is progress, and I think Joe Biden is do taking steps that they are able to get past. Um, I, in my mind, I wish it would go a little bit farther than that even. Yeah. See you guys on the other side. Hey, it's Ron here with Mitch Weeks from Mitch.loans. Mitch, we have a new client. She just got into mutual acceptance up in Shoreline. And we saved her some money because we were able to get that house under list price, handed her over to you. And what were you able to do? Yeah, we've got her as part of our buyer benefit program. So between you negotiating down a little bit of seller credit and us giving her a little lender credit, she was actually able to save enough in rate that she's going to save about 100000 over the life of her loan. That and is incredible. $100,000 over the life of the 30-year loan. That's right. Wow. So all she did was uh, call Mitch, and she went to Mitch.loans first. He can talk to you about these programs as well. You can use me as your agent. And between the two of us as a team, because we were all all ready to go. We secured the house under list price, bought down the loan rate, and she is getting a great deal. If you want to get a great deal too, go to Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. Some new figures out today, and you probably saw this. I don't know the Seattle Times. Some other publications have picked this up, and they say if you're out there looking to rent right now, in some places over the past couple of years, they say if you for instance, wanted to move into a two-bedroom up in Linwood. They say that some of those apartments have gone up. 80% is what they're saying. And I heard some people talking about this on the radio today and on some podcasts, some news folks, and they're saying, this is outrageous. These landlords are outrageous. They are going in and just raking people over the coals. The rent is too damn high, and something should be done when it comes to rent 
control. Ron, what say you? Because I got a lot to say on this one. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in, uh, well, maybe I should, I'll, I know you have a lot to say, but I'll say this. I think that this is a classic example of, of market dynamics. It's a supply and demand issue, especially in if you live close to the city of Seattle and the surrounding areas. Having said that, uh, the more I've learned about social injustice and all of those movements that have happened in the last decade and my trying to have an open mind about that, I do think there's a place to um, carve out assistance in some form. I don't know. I don't know what that would be right now off the top of my head, but I, I, I think that there is, there should be an avenue uh, for common sense assistance, but for the most part, it is market driven. Yeah. Here, here's the hard thing. You guys, if, if, this, this is the hard thing. If, if you're going to go out and you're going to buy a home right now, and let's say you're going to buy a home and the average price of a home on the East side or in Seattle, if we add it all together is about a million bucks. Let's say you're going to put 30% down on this home. So you're financing $700,000 on this home. And then let's say you're going to turn around and you're going to rent this home out to somebody. The property taxes that you have to pay on this home, plus you have to pay debt service on this home. Plus, if you're going to rent it out to somebody, you're probably going to have to bring that home up to code. You might also have to do some earthquake retrofitting. You know what an earthquake retrofit could cost on an old home? Could cost you 100 to 120 grand. And who's paying for that? The renter's not paying for that. Now what do you do? Because most of the homes that were built in Seattle, not necessarily on the east side, but in Seattle, were either built at the turn of the century. So we have a lot of homes built 1907, 08, 09, 1910, 1913, right in there. And then we have another batch of homes that were really small starter homes that were built in the 40s, and they call those war boxes. In fact, a lot of the old craftsmen that you've seen were built in the early 1900s. A lot of the war boxes were built around the time of World War II and the New Deal. And then what has happened, people have gone in and they've added on to these homes. And most of the homes in Seattle have been added on to, but not, it's not according to code. Now the city steps in and says, hey, or the state steps in and says, hey, we are concerned about earthquakes. Well, they weren't about concerned about earthquakes when they built these things in 1909 and also when they built these things mid-century. They weren't concerned about that. Now they're concerned about the earthquake retrofit. A lot of these old homes have live knob and tube in them. What does that mean? It means, well, what does live knob and tube mean? It's very old electrical. Yeah, and it means you could, there, there are banks out there that will not loan on knob and tube. Because it means that the house isn't grounded. And if the house isn't grounded, it means that, in fact, I bought a house a couple of years ago where there had been a fire in the rafters from the old knob and tube. And so banks look at this and they say, well, if we're going to loan on it, we're going to give you a million dollar loan or $700,000 loan, you're going to have to go in and fix the knob and tube. So there's a lot of pressure on landlords to take these buildings that are so out of code to bring those up to code so when you move in, that this is going to be a safe place for you. Also, if this home was built in the early 1900s or 1940s or 50s or even in the 60s, does it need a new roof? Because a new roof on that particular home, wow, that could be $30,000. 
a lot of old clay pipes, when you look at the sewers in Seattle, are derelict and dissolved. And who's going to pay for a new sewer line all the way out to the main line in Seattle? I just paid for one of those in a house I own up on Queen. It's $29,000. Reach in the pocket, right? So my point is, there is so much pressure on landlords to bring homes up to code. And then on top of that, on top of that, you have to deal with the fact that the city, when it comes to zoning, is very, very strict. And in fact, in most cities, you could go and let's say in Snohomish County, you wanted to demolish a house. In Snohomish County, they would give you a permit to demolish that house seven days from now. And the city of Seattle could be a year. If you have a new home that you're building, you're going to retrofit a house, it might be 18 months that you have to go back and forth to the city. Every time you go back with the city, you have to pay the person that works for the city because they charge you, and then you have to pay your engineer, or you have to pay your architect. You have to pay your design. So my point is, there is so much that is forced on landlords, and now let's talk about the pandemic. We had people that lived in our homes and our apartments that said, you know what, not going to pay don't have to pay, not going to move. I'm going to let my dog take a shiznit all over this house. In fact, I had someone that was living in a basement apartment and they would let their two dogs out every day. They're two Rottweilers that we didn't know about. And these dogs would take a shiznit all over the yard. This person didn't walk these dogs and then they had some drug issues. So then this poop would really heat up during the day and this house doesn't have AC and people would open up their windows that were living upstairs and now the this, the poop smell, right? So we had to go out there, had to get a bunch of Clorox, had to steam. So we did this and, and, and now instead of getting the poop, you're getting kind of a poop Clorox smell. Point being, dealing with people that are renting homes that are not their own is a pain in the heart. They always don't treat them very well. They treat it like a hotel. And any kind of damage that they do, someone put a big hole in the wall the other day of one of my rentals, and then they left. And that hole in the wall, that's going to cost me $1,600 to fix. There's nobody I can call that's going to write a check. So during the pandemic, we have all these people that didn't pay. And then on top of that, you weren't allowed to raise those rents. You weren't. So as a result of that, you're sitting there as a, as a landlord, you're having to incur all these costs. And sometimes to pay for those costs, you have no choice. You have to take it off the 12-day rental market. You got to put it on a short-term rental market because you can make more money. It's more work. It's a lot more work. But you can make more money on a short-term rental market because you're trying to recover the cost of what it costs to, to, to not only own, but maintain that property and bring that up to code. And then to deal with the people that are living in those homes. And everybody now has dogs. They have lots of dogs <laughs> because of the pandemic. And they leave those dogs at home. And it's really interesting to see what the dogs in the rental house next door are doing to my friend Adam's house, who uh, is overseas right now. So, there's a lot going on there if you're a landlord. And I don't appreciate this as a landlord, this being blamed on landlords, because there's a lot of pressure on landlords right now and in the city of Seattle and even on the east side. 
It is not an easy place to be a landlord. And it's very easy to say, hey, rents went up in Linwood 80%. But yeah, I bet rents haven't gone up in Linwood for the past three years. Yeah, I mean, it's well stated. I think it's an easy target, though, when you uh, may not know how the sausage is made and you're just paying rent. The easiest low-hanging fruit is to go, this is the bad guy because that's the person I, I have to write the check to. And if you've never been a property owner, you don't know what it takes. Yeah, that's right. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of The Ron and Don Show. If you need us, just reach out. We're on donsitdown.com. We're also on socials. I'm Don O'Neill on Facebook, Don O'Neill 34 on Instagram. Ron is just Ron Upshaw on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want to just write us directly, email Ron. That's ron at ronanddon.com. Email me, don at ronanddon.com. And we could do a sit down today. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you for episode 440. Yeah, be here before you know it. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. Olay on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet. And we'll see you next time. Only. 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. <laughs>